The Voices of Search podcast is a proud member of the I Hear Everything podcast network. Looking to launch or scale your podcast? I Hear Everything delivers podcast production, growth, and monetization solutions that transform your words into profit. Ready to give your brand a voice? Then visit IHearEverything.com. Bridge Toll, California, customer service number. Highway miles to the gallon, Ford Focus. Thailand Cave Rescue Operation. What is Schema F? Best wine bars in San Carlos, California. Best Western hotels. How old is Ronaldo? What happened with Big Brother? What's a good engagement? How long before a wedding should I send out save the dates? Use IMAP to check email on other email clients. Identify fonts from where to find the Welcome to Career Day on the Voices of Search podcast. Today, we're going to learn about the skills accumulated and the lessons learned from a great SEO throughout the various stops on his career. Joining us for Career Day is a teacher turned SEO that now runs a $25 million ARR search agency. Will Reynolds is the founder at Seer Interactive, which is a performance-based digital marketing agency. Seer focuses on PPC, SEO, analytics, creative, and CRO services. And today, Will's going to tell us a little bit about his career path. But before we hear from Will, I want to remind you that this podcast is brought to you by the marketing team at Searchmetrics. We are an SEO and content marketing platform that helps enterprise-scale businesses monitor their online presence and make data-driven decisions. And to support you, our loyal podcast listeners, we're offering a complimentary digital diagnostic. Remember, our digital strategies group will provide you with a consultation that reviews how your website, content, and SEO strategies can all be optimized. To schedule your free digital diagnostic, go to searchmetrics.com slash diagnostic. And this podcast is also sponsored by Ahrefs. What if I told you that you could monitor your website's SEO health, backlinks, and organic rankings at no costs? Sounds too good to be true? Well, it's not. Because my friends at Ahrefs just launched Ahrefs Webmaster Tools. Ahrefs' new Webmaster Tools product quickly helps you improve your site's visibility by pointing solutions to over 100 technical issues that might be holding your search performance down. Plus, AWT monitors for backlinks so you'll know the most linked to pages and how those links are affecting your rankings. And AWT shares what keywords your website ranks for and compares how you stack up against competitors for key metrics like search volume, keyword difficulty, and traffic value. Look, monitoring your website used to require multiple expensive tools. And now, thanks to Ahrefs, that's not the case anymore because AWT will help you monitor your SEO health, backlinks, and keywords for free. And no, it's not one of those 14-day free trial offers. It's a powerful site audit tool that will keep working for you for free. So check out Ahrefs Webmaster Tools at ahrefs.com slash A-W-T. That's A-H-R-E-F-S dot com slash A-W-T. Okay. On with the show, here's our interview with Will Reynolds, the founder of Seer Interactive. Will, welcome to the Voices of Search podcast. Thank you for having me. Honor and a pleasure to have you on the show. I'm excited to hear a little bit about how you've grown Seer Interactive to be one of the most prominent SEO agencies and digital marketing agencies in the world. Let's start off uh, talking about your beginnings. How did you get into SEO? Uh, That's easy. So I... Moved up to Connecticut with my uh, significant other right after college, after I realized that a career in teaching high school economics wasn't going to work out. And I found five or six companies that I thought were doing really interesting things on the internet. 
And I decided to just knock on their doors and try to get a job. And that was uh, August of 1999 is when I started knocking on those doors. So let's go back a step and actually talk about your your pre-SEO career. You mentioned you're an economics teacher. Was it high school economics? Yeah, high school economics. You're not teaching that to sixth graders, that's for sure. <laughs> okay. Well, it could have been college. You're a smart guy. You could have been a professor. Uh, what was it about economics that caused you to not only choose that career path, but eventually decide to go away from being a teacher? Great question. So I think the thing about economics that I loved is I was in a position to help students to understand kind of how the world was working around them. You know, why their shoes cost what they cost, the economics of how people can give away an app like Facebook for free, even though that did not exist in, in 98 when I was doing my teaching. How they can give away Friendster for free. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Or like freepc.com. You remember those days? Yeah, yeah. So it's really cool to help somebody to see and discover this complexity that's going on around them in a way that educates them about what's really going on. What made me ultimately not be a teacher was less about the students and the subject matter, and it was more about the administration. You know, this was 1998, and I was in a lower middle class school district. So when I wanted to teach my students about the stock market, I said, hey, there's this website called Yahoo, and we can go and set up like fake stock accounts, so then you're going to actually want to watch the news so you can be really invested every day in what's happening with your portfolio. And my teacher, my cooperating teacher at the time was like, I had this board game that we play. And I'm like, but this is like, the kids can go online and they can, you know, really interact with real companies that are going public and whatnot. And you could just see that that was not something that she was interested in. And things like that just happened over and over again. If I wanted to email grades, if I wanted to save my grades in Excel instead of in a written grade book, those were all kind of no-nos. And that's why I ultimately decided that my love of technology was a little bit ahead of where the education space was at the time. So the lack of innovation working at a public school and as a teacher in economics caused you to realize that you needed a, a life change and you decided that you were interested in technology. You mentioned that you were knocking on some doors of some of the biggest companies. You know, How were you thinking about your job search up front and, and who were you reaching out to? Well, you know what's interesting is I think I just took a personal inventory of what made me tick. And I'm competitive as hell. I like to win and I, I don't mind losing, but I like to know whether I won or lost. And I like computers. So those two parts of my personality kind of culminated in me finding a job like search, which was, hey, every day I can check to see where I rank on 30 different search engines. And especially at that time, you know, if you were getting your butt kicked on AltaVista or Excite or Lycos or whatever, you knew it right? There was no spin. It was like somebody out there is testing more templates. They're trying more things. They're studying more than you are. And because as a 21-year-old, I felt like I could study more, that made me feel like it was within my sphere of influence to change that or turn that around. And I just loved that every day it was a battle. Every day I was trying to figure out what do I need to learn? How can I rank sites better? And how can I prove the value of what I'm doing? And to me, that was just the absolute best type of job out there for my personality type. So you realized that keeping the score was important. And that led you into being interested in SEO. What were some of the roles that you had early in your career when you shifted over to working in digital marketing? What were you focused on? Uh, so my title, my first title was Portal Strategist. Because that back then, like most of the websites were portal driven, you know, it was horoscopes and sports scores and all that. 
on your homepage. And that is pretty much what I did. I mean, I, I got my first job out of college being responsible for optimizing websites on portals, submitting URLs via different tools to the search engines and all that crazy stuff that we were doing back in you know the late 90s, early 2000s. That was all I did from up until about 2001. I then ended up going into a Fortune 500 after that, after after a stint at that at that startup, net marketing. Okay, so you start off at net marketing. You're you're focused a little bit on portals. When did you get more into SEO specifically? Well, it was it wasn't really like we didn't even know what to call it back then. So my I was doing SEO, but my managers were calling it like, oh, there's these web portals out there. But really, all I was doing was saying when people put things into the search boxes on those portals. How do we figure out how to influence what shows up? So it was basically first day, first real job was SEO, was optimizing keyword intent on search engines from day one. So this is around the turn of the century. You're working at you know net marketing and as a portal strategist in 1999 to 2002. Uh, the internet is you know in its teenage years or earlier years, I don't even know what to call them, but you know, the AOLs and Yahoo's are the, the the most dominant players in the world. Google is not even relevant. Nope. What were some of the challenges that you faced working in search marketing before it was really known as search marketing? Uh-huh. Great question. The biggest challenge was that there were probably 30 different search engines and you had to optimize for all 30 and there wasn't like a breakout where you could just optimize for one. You literally had to try to develop strategies for 30 different search engines. And now some of them were lower tier, but you know there were times when sites like AskGees were getting 5% of search or Direct Hit was getting 5% of search. So you can't ignore that, right? So I think that was the biggest challenge at the time. The other thing that was hard is everybody was like pretty much like changing the wheels on the car as it was rolling. You know, so every day was learning learning, 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 going into forums, like Jim's forum, you know, is my big one, trying to figure out how can I sit in these forums and learn from people about what they're testing and what they're trying because you, there were no books. You weren't going to learn this stuff any other way. There were no blogs. It was all forums. So you spent tons of your time trying to learn, tons of your time trying to test what you learned, and then trying to spend time in front of clients to interpret what the value is of what you had done. So eventually you move on from net marketer and you become what's a, known as a web producer at AON, which originally when I looked at this, I thought it was AOL. I'm like, okay, this guy's a portal guy. He went from working in portal marketing to AOL. W- what is AON? AON is one of the large, I think it's the second largest insurance brokerage in the world. They're a huge company. So what is web production and, and how did you end up at an insurance carrier? So, you know, net marketing, it was interesting, man, when people, people weren't sure the web was going to be a thing in 99 and 2000. Like, you know, my parents thought it was risky. And so the cool part was, is that we thought it was going to be a thing. And I was their first employee. So I was just like working my ass off, um, you know, really long days. But it wasn't like that, like, oh, the boss is making me work long days. I just loved the shit. Like, it was so much fun to work in this business that I kind of couldn't peel myself away. So there was a lot of all-nighters in the office, you know, a lot of showering at the office and stuff like that. And I started realizing that maybe that's a little bit much. My girlfriend at the time dumped me because I was working too much and whatnot. So I decided to um, start to look for other jobs. And at that same time, unfortunately, net marketing ended up going under my two, uh, the, the two founders of the company, their brothers, 
um, twin brothers. Uh, I think it was a couple business decisions they had made related to finance and legal that ended up putting us under. So at that same time, I was already kind of looking for jobs and I ended up getting a job at Aon where I was basically a liaison between web teams and technical teams that were in developers. Mm -hmm. And I did that along with SEO and paid search for a few years there. So you had a broad role that was, you know, technical, but not specifically focused on SEO. And then, you know, shortly thereafter, you decide to roll out. And the next thing you know, you're, you know, starting Seer. Talk to me about, you know, what Seer is and, and the early days. It's the vast majority of your career. You've been there for almost 17 years. Talk to me about the, the beginnings of your agency. Sure. So the way it started is I was very unfulfilled at Aon. You know, you go from a hotshot startup to a Fortune 500, and especially a Fortune 500 in the insurance space. Those people wake up every day wondering about risk. So I couldn't even get like, you know, Internet Explorer or or, or Firefox rather at the time installed on my computer because it was like scary, you know? So what I found is I was really disappointed with where I was in my career. I went from this like learning every day and working with all these smart people to kind of like, you know, you look around at five o'clock and nobody was around. And I was really disappointed in where I got in my career. I was sitting there and I was frustrated. So I decided to start knocking on doors of companies in the Philadelphia area trying to get a job. So within about six months, I realized that Aon was going to be the wrong place for me. And I tried to do what worked the first time. And I ended up spending about a good 18 months knocking on different companies' doors, trying to get a job with them. Some companies, I knocked on their doors three or four times trying to get a job with some of the the companies in Philly. And I just could not get interviewed. I just could not get a job. So I was just so frustrated that I started like doing some freelance work and whatnot, which ultimately led to me leaving Aon and then starting Seer. Why, why couldn't you get a job? You've got some experience. You, you know, you're doing digital marketing. You have a company that's got lots of credibility. What's stopping you from you know, getting hired by some of the prominent companies in Philly? Uh, I think Philadelphia was a big pharmaceutical city. And you know, there was a couple startups that were doing some cool stuff. GSI Commerce, who went on to get bought by eBay and whatnot. So there were some... But for the, and there were some agencies, but for the most part, people just kept pounding on me on, hey, where's your pharma experience? And I'm like, I can reverse engineer Altavista, Excite, you know, Hotbot, whatever. Like I've learned how this stuff works. You need to hire somebody in SEO. Like, like let me just do the job. You'll see. And I don't know why. You know, it's still one of those things I kind of scratch my head a bit. I think the funniest thing is there's a company who I won't name because there's no need to. But I knocked on their door twice, trying to get a job with them two different occasions. And about seven or eight years ago, their CEO sat across from me and asked me if I would buy their company. And it's one of those things where you're like, dude, I was asking for like $50,000 a year. You could have had me build Sear inside of your company for 50 grand a year to start me off. But somewhere, the HR people or whomever never gave me an interview. So therefore, he never knew what I was trying to bring inside of a company. So did you buy the company? No. <laughs> okay. We didn't need the clients. You know, that's what that's what he had to offer. He had to, a, a client portfolio to offer me, and I was already um, turning stuff away that I couldn't take. So I couldn't. I couldn't do it. I mean, I'm going to take some liberties here, but it sounds like the reasons why you're getting rejected was you're ahead of the technology curve, right? There are these big established companies that aren't ready to make a shift towards digital, and you're sitting here branding yourself as I can help you do search marketing before anybody knows that they need to be in search. Isn't that, you know, part of the problem here? Part of it. But I mean, these were jobs that were like, we need you to work on the internet to help us do internet marketing stuff. So it was like close enough. 
that uh, I, I still feel like I should have gotten a job. But uh, it all worked out just fine. <laughs> so you start doing some freelancing, right? And this, yep. this is where Seer Interactive starts. You're, uh, I guess you're overlapping between time at Aon and, you know, the freelance work that you're doing. Talk to me about, you know, the clients that you're taking on in the early stage. And how did you go from small to medium and eventually, you know, pretty big? Sure. So I, I, I left my apartment and walked down to the main street of the city that I lived in at the time. And I knocked on the door of a jewelry company. Literally. Literally. Knocked on the door. Yeah. You knocked on their door. I was like, hey, like your site's in flash. You know, it looks great. And it tells this great story for a jewelry shop. But you can't rank for all these words. Can I help you? And, you know, the guy's like, no, I don't need your help right now. But I stayed in touch with him. And he referred me to somebody. And that person, um, his name is Peter Madden, who was across the street, who ran a PR agency. And I optimized Peter Madden's site, this company, AgileCat, who's still around, still do work with them. And I optimized his site for all these Philadelphia PR keywords. He ranked at the top of Google. I was like, well, this is great. I have a bunch of clients. Let me introduce you to them. And then he introduced me to you know, Barbara Ballinger, who runs Ballinger Interiors. He introduced me to Rosiri, Frank Stezzi, uh, who, or Joe Stezzi, rather, uh, at, at Rosiri Hair Salon. So he was introducing me to his local clients. And that's kind of how I got my start. Time for a one-minute break to hear from our sponsor, Previsible. So you're looking for SEO help, and you got a couple of options. You could start replying to spam from agencies that claim they can get you to rank number one on Google. You could pay an hourly rate for a consultant who will inevitably nickel and dime you with hourly charges. Or you could work with a cookie-cutter agency to quickly launch a strategy-less project with low success rate. None of those sound very good, now do they? Well, that's where Previsible's integrated consulting model comes in. Previsible draws from a collective 40 years of SEO and digital marketing experience to unlock your organic growth opportunities. They build custom solutions that combine strategy, technical expertise, content, and reporting to effectively operationalize SEO for your business. Previsible's four-stage approach ensures that your SEO programs thrive by starting off with a strategy-first approach. Then they support you in your efforts to create quality content, help you identify technical issues, and most importantly, they'll work with your cross-functional teams to integrate your SEO strategies to make sure that your SEO budget actually drives results, not just your agency's bottom line. So join brands like Yelp, eBay, Canva, Atlassian, Square, all who rely on the SEO consultants at Previsible. For more information, go to previsible.io. That's previsible, P-R-E-V-I-S-I-B-L-E dot I-O. So you start focused on local business, right? You're literally knocking on doors and, and doing your networking and kind of trading up a little bit where you're finding somebody that works in PR, you're, you're helping them, you're making connections through their clients. You know, you're, you're running a, what is, I assume would be a, a nice side hustle at first. At what point did you go from, you know, working at as a web producer for Aon while, you know, managing Sear on the side to having it be your primary gig? Um, well, you know, the way I ended up leaving Aon, I didn't have Sear really uh, set up well. So I left Aon on a frustration. I was volunteering at a children's hospital. And I said to my boss at the time, I said to her, I said, can I work through my lunch on Wednesdays? so I can get to my volunteer assignment on time at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. And she was like, I don't think we can do that right now. And I just quit. I was like, you know what? I called my mom. I said, mom, I think I'm going to have to quit and start Sear full time because 
you know, I'm just trying to spend some time with some really sick kids in the hospital to take their minds off their illness. And my boss won't even let me work through my lunch so I can get that hour back to go do something good. So that was really my final straw. And that's when I was like, screw it, I'm out here. And I think not having that safety net as the backing really helped me to be like, go knock on some doors today, dude. Like if you don't knock on some doors, you're not going to get paid. And I think that fear led me to being okay with knocking on doors because I hate approaching people and pitching people on stuff. And then that's just kind of how that kind of rolled from there, just to kind of correct the record. I've been... uh, Sorry if I was misspoken. Honestly, I've been a marketing consultant myself, independent for close to four years. And one of the biggest lessons that I learned early on running a consulting business is you have to dedicate at least 25 to 50% of your time you know, knocking on doors, making introductions and networking to can have a stable book of business. Eventually, you know, you are knocking on doors and you're starting to bring on some local clients. Were you focused on local clients, you know, for the next couple of years? Is that what helped you scale? Or did you start, you know, moving from the local Philadelphia market to people that had regional and national reach? Uh, good, good question. So, um, I was 21 when I was at net marketing, 22, and I was working with like Mercedes Benz. I used to work with double click. So double click was one of my clients and they wanted to rank for banner ad keywords. So I used to optimize double click to rank well on Google and Yahoo and those kind of sites. So to work with those big brands as a young guy, you know, it pumps your ego up a little bit. And it was very humbling to go and work with really small businesses who barely had a couple of pennies to pay it. But to be honest with you, the story of Sear and our growth is so interesting because it's one of not very intentional growth. I think so many people create this vision of where they want to get to that they're kind of stepping on their clients that they have today. And I took the opposite approach. Even though it was a little bit of an ego hit to go from working with you know De Beers or Mercedes-Benz to a local hair salon, I said, I'm going to make them feel like I care about their dollars because I do. I care about every dollar they give me and I want to see them get a return on that dollar. And it's interesting how far things can go when you just show people that you care. So after getting those first few clients, once um, Peter Madden referred me to those three clients, everything after that was pure referral. I just did a great job for every single person who trusted me with their money. And if I failed, I gave them their money back. And it wasn't even in my contracts. I was just like, look, I don't feel good about taking your money if I'm not doing a great job for you. And it was that level of like honesty and wanting to see my clients be successful early on that made people think about me differently and that made me come up in more conversations and that made me get a lot more referrals than the average agency. So you start building your reputation, you start, you know, delivering for the clients, you're earning referrals, your agency is scaling. What's the difference between running a, you know, bootstrapped agency, you're working with local businesses to, you know, the scaling to the point where you're at 25 million ARR? There's a lot in there. What are what are the stages that you go through? Um You know, for us, it was interesting. We were getting so many referrals. So for this is Sears story. And and I've learned that it's that it's probably unique. But we were getting so many referrals that we were just turning business away for a good two or three years. So a lot of people will talk about going into the debt. A lot of people will talk about how hard it was to hire their, their first, second, third, fourth, fifth employee. And for me, I always turned away so much business that I always knew it was there when I went to go hire another employee. So I never had that like fear of hiring somebody because there was so much stuff I had turned away for so many months that I knew that there was a momentum there. It wasn't just a one-off thing. So 
I didn't really have any major, major uh, issues until I probably got until about 10 to 15 employees. And there, I think my issue was I was always a great executor. And I'm not, I've never been embarrassed to say I'm better. I'm good at execution. I'm not a business guy, but I will work my ass off and I will execute. And I'm not above having, you know, having my hands be dirty at the end of the day because I'm down building links or whatever I got to do. I was never that guy who was like, oh, like I want to sit up here and have all these people do this work. So I like, like being in the work. And I feel that that always kept me really strong in my craft, but really made me bad at running the business. So I made a lot of mistakes when Sear was in that like 10 to 20 range where like we were like, I would go and pick up like groceries uh, or like drinks for the office. And I would ask people what they wanted and I'm buying Red Bulls and, and smoothie drinks and stuff for the team. And then one day when I finally hired a, a controller, he came in and was like, do you know you spent $5,000 on Red Bull? Like this year. And I'm like, holy shit, I had no fucking idea. And it was like, I was so into like, hey, I want this to be a great place to work. So I just bought people the stuff they wanted. I paid no attention to the books really because it was boring to me to look at the finances. And I spent all my time on my craft. And luckily, the amount of referrals we were getting enabled us to get through that time without crashing and burning. So you get to the point where you're scaling and at some point the you know the way that you're building the identity and the way that you're supporting your company you know both your employees and your clients starts to break down it sounds like a little or at least your costs were escalating to the point where they were unreasonable what did you do to make it through that and get to the next point of scale you know it's another referral the guy that sold me my house great guy this guy Steve Grandizio he sold my house and after I had bought the house, we're sitting in his car and he's like, I got a guy for you to meet. I said, okay, I'll meet him. And the guy ended up being Larry Waddell. And Larry was like a consultant and really into entrepreneurship and whatnot. And Larry came in and really kind of helped me to build the first frameworks for the business around how to look at my finances. And that really bridged me for a while because um, without Larry, you know, kind of coming in and teaching me and Crystal some of the, the early ways of how to run the business... I don't know if Sear would have made it because I learned that from net marketing. That at net marketing, those guys were one of the first, they, they built a company called net marketing in 1995. Those guys knew the web was going to be big and they went under and they went under on a couple of business decisions, not on their inability to know what was going to happen on the internet. So I learned from a tough learning early on that just because you're really good at search or your job, and you are running a business, doesn't mean that that's what you should be doing for the long term. So once we got big enough, I allowed Crystal to start running the business for me so I could stay focused on innovation and working on client work because I knew that that's where I was happiest and I knew I needed somebody to kind of watch the business from a financial and a growth and a business kind of standpoint. So it sounds like you understood your limitations and focused on the things that you did well and found the support system to be able to manage the rest of the business now that you're focused more on, you know, the client services and the SEO, you know, talk to me about some of the things that you're doing today. How are you providing value to your customers as search and, you know, digital marketing in general have continued to evolve? What's your area of focus? Uh, my area of focus these days is big data. Um, it's so old uh, in the sense of like, we've been saying big data forever. But if you really think about big data and you ask people, how do they use big data on the day to day? you're going to find that 99% of SEOs aren't. What they're doing is they're using tools that process big data, but they themselves are not intimately steeped in data. So what I like to do is I like to take large sets of keywords. You know, I was looking at a client today with 5 million unique search terms. 
in the last uh, in the last year, and take all that data and run all the rank data on it. Pull out where there's people also asks and map results and snippets, and then marry that data to analytics data, marry it to PPC data and other data sets that will help me to find the insights across those siloed divisions. So like one of my favorite things in the world to do is to take a PPC report with all the search terms, clicks, costs, and spend, join it to an organic ranking report and show a client where they're spending money on keywords, where they have no content. And to be able to do that on the thousands or tens of thousands of words, you start realizing things that are opening my eyes to a whole new world. And one of those things is um, I took a tool and I said, uh, I put a bunch of words in it and it came back and said, oh, all those words, most of those words have no search volume. I then took those words and looked them up in my PPC report and found out that I got 750 conversions on those words. So I thought, hmm, isn't that interesting? This tool is telling me and every one of my competitors that looks at these words, there's no reason to go after them because nobody searches for them. But yet, those words that have zero search volume, according to this tool, have 735 conversions or whatever that number was. But yet, when I looked at all the keywords that had over a 1,000 searches a month and I added up all those conversions, it was only 300 and something. So there was double the number of conversions available on keywords that most people would ignore because they're not joining the data sets. So those are the kind of things that I just absolutely love doing today. And I think it's where our clients are getting the most value from working with SEER. So as you're focused on working on SEER and you're managing these big data and, and analytics projects, what are some of the other things you're doing in terms of client service and also promoting the business? Um, so one of the things that people know a lot about me is I speak at a lot of conferences. And it's funny, I never really thought of that early in my career as business development. I never thought of that as selling. I thought of it as education because I come from an education background. Like You don't stand in front of your classroom and teach them a lesson to get them to buy something. You teach it so that they can progress and learn. So for me, you know, speaking at conferences, getting the word out about what SEER does is big. I'm preparing right now for my seventh MozCon where I'll be presenting on some of the things that we're talking about. So that's what I spend a lot of time doing. And I love working with clients who have really unique data challenges. So uh, you know, when a client says, Hey, I want to uh, connect my sales force to my organic data, to my analytics data to see this kind of question that I've been asking. And I think that you guys can do it. Those kind of projects are insanely fun to work on. Um, and then to the best that we can, you know, SEER is uh, kind of founded heavily on the belief of volunteerism. So we're trying to combine those things through a promotion that we're doing right now, which is SEERFest. And SEERFest is a conference that we throw. We've done it the last couple of years where um, all the money goes to charity. We bring in nonprofits that work with people in our community and let them speak at the conference as well, alongside of people like Rand Fishkin and Ross Simmons and April Dunford and Perna, and Perna. So we bring all these like really great speakers to people at a price point that's like you know a couple hundred bucks, which they might not be able to afford or get buy-in from their companies. So it really helps me to feel fulfilled to know that we are supporting our local community, but we're also giving people an opportunity to meet some of these like insanely strong speakers at a price point that makes them more accessible. So SeerFest is based in Philadelphia? We, we do it between our two offices. Um, we have uh, a Philly office. We have an office in San Diego. Last year, we did SeerFest in San Diego. This year, we're doing it in Philly. <laughs> when you said we do it in between our two offices, I was expecting you to say something like, well, we do it in between. So it's like Des Moines, Iowa. <laughs> <laughs> no, not there. That's for All sure. Right. So, so Philadelphia this year for SeerFest. And, and when's the event? Uh, it's in October. I'd have to look it up and give you the exact date. 
But uh, yeah, we're doing it in October this year. Okay. Um, any last words in terms of, you know, when you look back on your career and you think about, you know, making your way from being a high school economics teacher, starting your career early on with the rise of the internet, and now running a, a successful agency that's, you know, also focused on volunteerism. You know, what advice do you have for other people that are considering making the change and going into digital marketing? Um, the thing I would tell them is that there's not that many barriers. You know, if you want to learn to be the world's preeminent Pinterest optimizer, I don't know one, do you? Um, you know, there's a lot of pockets of the web where if you just studied, you could become someone that a lot of people have to listen to. Do not allow yourself to uh, get in your own head. Make sure that you just kind of continue to learn. And I think as long as you're willing to learn, as long as you're willing to test, as long as you're willing to fail, I think for most people, there's a lot of pockets of opportunity within organizations, on your own, etc., where you can really become one of the go-to people of a pocket of the internet that's widely ignored by most agencies today. So go for it. Just get started. One of the things that I appreciate the most about your story is your ability to, you know, take risks first and foremost, but also just go out and be visible, whether it's, you know, knocking on the jewelry store door to start Sear Interactive to, you know, being a speaker at multiple conferences to to launching SearFest, you're putting yourself in a place to be visible. And so I think that there's not only, you know, having the like you mentioned, the ability to, to learn and go, you know, develop the skills you need to be an expert on a subject matter, but also putting yourself out and being visible, you know, is something that's only going to help grow your brand. And I think that you do a great job of that. Oh, well, thank you very much. I appreciate that. All right. Well, well, I appreciate you coming on the show. It's been a pleasure hearing your story. And that wraps up this episode of the Voices of Search podcast. Thanks for listening to my conversation with Will Reynolds, the founder of Sear Interactive. If you'd like to learn more about Will, you can find a link to his LinkedIn profile in our show notes. You can send him a tweet at Will Reynolds, W-I-L-R-E-Y-N-O-L-D-S, only one L. Or you can visit his company's website, which is seerinteractive.com, S-E-E-R interactive.com. And a special thanks to Previsible for sponsoring this podcast. If you're looking for support with all of your SEO needs, Previsible's integrated consulting model is there for you. They draw on a collective 40 years of SEO and digital marketing experience to help you unlock your organic search and growth opportunities. So join brands like Yelp, eBay, Canva, Atlassian, and Square, all who rely on SEO consultants at Previsible. For more information, go to previsible.io. That's P-R-E-V-I-S-I-B-L-E dot I-O. And a special thanks to Ahrefs for sponsoring this podcast. Monitoring your website used to require multiple expensive tools. But that's not the case anymore, thanks to Ahrefs, because they just launched their Ahrefs Webmaster Tools product, which monitors your SEO health, helps you keep track of your backlinks, and gives you the insight into what keywords are performing for free. So check out Ahrefs Webmaster Tools at ahrefs.com slash A-W-T. That's Ahrefs, A-H-R-E-F-S dot com slash A-W-T. If you have general marketing questions or if you'd like to talk about this podcast, you can find my contact information in our show notes or you can send me a tweet at Ben J. Schaap, B-E-N-J-S-H-A-P. If you're interested in learning more about how to use search data to boost your organic traffic or online visibility to gain competitive insights, head over to searchmetrics.com slash diagnostic for your complimentary advisory session with our digital strategies team. And if you like this podcast and you want a regular stream of SEO and content marketing insights in your podcast feed, hit the subscribe button in your podcast app and we'll be back in your feed next week. 
Lastly, if you've enjoyed the show and you're feeling generous, we'd love for you to leave us a review in the Apple iTunes store or wherever you're listening to your podcasts. Okay, that's it for today. But until next time, remember, the answers are always in the data.